Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app. Or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us, and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. I'm a hands-on learner. I like to learn by doing. Uh, So sometimes sitting in a classroom and just talking about it isn't as good as you know, going out there and getting your hands dirty. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. On today's show, we're talking about what you get for $20,000 per year at a highly regarded technical college. Our guest is E.J. Daigle, Dean of Robotics and Manufacturing at Dunwoody College of Technology in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dunwoody offers associate and bachelor degrees in a variety of fields, such as engineering, robotics, and machining. Dunwoody believes it's important for students and faculty to get their hands dirty on the equipment. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. We're very pleased to have E.J. Daigle, Dean of Robotics and Manufacturing at Dunwoody College of Technology in Minneapolis. Welcome to the show, EJ. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here. Awesome. To start, um, I want to know briefly what Dunwoody College is, and I want to get your story as well. So, um, in a nutshell, uh, what do you do? Where do you work? You got it. Um, so Dunwoody College is a small private technical college in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I've been here for over 100 years now. So we were, uh, started in 1914 by a gentleman by the name of William Hood Dunwoody. Uh, William Hood a Dunwoody hundred, was... 100 years. 100 years. Yeah, I guess we're 105 years old now as, 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 it, uh, wow. as it stands. So 1914 was our, our, our first year. Um, William Hood Dunwoody was a uh, entrepreneur back in the the late 1800s. Uh, he made all of his money uh, through the grain industry. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was a silent partner in a company called Washburn Crosby Company, which you would know today as General Mills. Um, so the Washburns, the Crosbys, uh-huh. the Pillsburys, and the Dunwoodys um, all were partners in bringing this new flour product uh, all over the world. So this bleached white. Um, which you might in the grocery store today they call it gold medal flour. Well, that that didn't exist until the the Dunwoodies and the Washburns and the Crosbys really brought that to market. So he made all of his money doing that. Wow, they brought the bleached 
flower that everybody is against nowadays. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? We would yeah, be so totally healthier if it wasn't for Dunwoody. Yeah, good point. Good point. So the white flower at the time was was really a unique creation, right? Because it gave us the soft white bread that you know we never were able to do before. And you're right. Nowadays we're back into the whole grains and all these different <laughs> things. Uh, but it also brought us a lot of other things too. At the same time, you know, they were dabbling in different dishes that uh, you know all came about from this this new technology that they were that they were using. So, anyways, the Washburns, the Crosbys, the Pillsburys, you know, their 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 families are still involved uh, with Dunwoody, with General Mills, and so on and so forth. Uh, the Dunwoody family, unfortunately, William William and his wife Kate didn't have any children, um, so they uh, they wound up leaving. Uh, the bulk of their fortune to start a bunch of uh, uh, things in the Twin Cities. Uh, Abbott Northwestern Hospital. Dr. Abbott was William Hood Dunwoody's personal physician. Uh, the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Uh, well, you know, the biggest collection there is the Dunwoody Collection. Yeah. So, so he then started uh, Dunwoody Industrial Institute uh, with a, a gift of two million dollars. If you can imagine two million dollars in 1914. Uh, what kind of some of that money that was? That's like made, two billion dollars, right? You got it. It's a ton of money. And then not only that, when his when his wife passed away a year later, she also endowed the institution with uh, another check for two million dollars. Um, so we've really been running off of uh, some of those endowment dollars dollars now for for well over a hundred years. So wow. pretty good story. Um, we're we're at what I would call a polytechnic um, college, which means we offer certificates associate's degrees and bachelor's degrees. Um, but all of our degrees are more of a learn by doing polytechnic approach. Um, so a little bit, I wouldn't say less on the book work, um, but it's not uncommon for our students to be in lab, you know, anywhere from eight hours to up to 15 hours a week. 15 hours a week. 15 hours a week, three hours a day, five days a week. That'd be an example of like my, uh, my machine tool program. Uh, those students are in lab for three hours a day, five days a week. So they get a ton of lab time. Okay. Yeah. And what are all the, the different things that they, they teach at Dunwoody? So we'll teach, um, you know, kind of all over the map. Uh, we have a, a school for construction sciences. You said construction sciences? Yep. Yeah. So a number of different departments at Dunwoody. Uh, construction sciences is one of our department, which would include things like electrical construction, HVAC, architecture. Um, we have a, uh, a computers department that teaches computer networking, cybersecurity, uh, web-based development, uh, web development, database development, stuff like that. Obviously, a manufacturing and robotics department uh, where we teach everything from automation robotics, uh, engineering design, welding, and machining. And then we have a school for engineering as well, school of engineering, where we do mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, and software engineering. So we're kind of all over the map from uh, whether it be kind of the, the uh, lower degrees in the trades all the way up to the uh, bachelor's degrees um, in the engineering disciplines. How many people go there? We're a total of about, about 1,500 students. Oh, 1,500. Wow. Okay. It's a small. Yep. Yeah, we're small. Okay. Um, so how did you get into this racket? What's your story? <laughs> Well, so I, uh, I'm kind of a non-traditional learner myself. So I, upon graduating high school, I didn't think I was ready to, to go into college. Um, so I took the ASVAB for the U.S. Navy, 
uh, did very well. And uh, they then sent me to school for two years. And I, I served on nuclear submarines for the better part of, of 10 years in the U.S. Navy. Nuclear um, submarines? The interest, though, uh, yeah, I'm a submariner by trade. Uh, what was interesting for me, though, was the uh, the first submarine I reported to was a submarine called PCU Rhode Island, which is a pre-commissioned unit. So I actually reported to the USS Rhode Island uh, before it was ever commissioned, which meant I worked in the shipyards uh, for the better part of a year, working with uh, plumbers and pipe fitters and welders and machinists, actually construction construction of the submarine that I would then serve four years on. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, so I got I got a chance to uh, kind of see you know, all of manufacturing, um, you know, and the latest and greatest of, of modern day manufacturing at the shipyard in uh, an electric boat in Groton, Connecticut. So it was what years kind of that? an interesting way. To- the 90s? Yeah, so it would have been around 93 to 94. Interesting. Yep. So you went to the Navy and you right out of high school. Yes. And they taught you all kinds of technical stuff and you learned by doing, et cetera. Uh, and you are the Dean at a school that teaches it at a school. So is there a better way of learning, um, whether it's on the job or in a classroom, maybe you had a classroom as well when you were in the Navy, I guess. Absolutely. Do you think that, the Navy was one of the best places to uh, be trained in something like this. Well, I think I think the the beauty of the Navy was the the learning model we used in the U.S. Navy was very similar to Dunwoody's model. Uh, meaning, Interesting. Yeah, the the coursework was very uh, it was very focused and it was uh, long days of learning. Um, you know, so unlike a traditional university model where you might you know say have an hour of class on Tuesday morning, three hours of class on Wednesday morning, and two hours of class on Thursday morning or something like that, where you have different classes meeting at different times for an hour here or there in more of a lecture format. Uh, the military schools tend to be very hands-on as well. So they would have a classroom portion that you might be in a classroom for two hours a day, every day. And then you'll go into a laboratory environment where you'd be in the lab environment for a couple hours a day, every day. Um, and that really was your focus the entire time, uh, really for my first two years in the Navy, was all schoolwork. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until I until I uh, reported to the USS Rhode Island or the pre-commissioning of the USS Rhode Island that I actually had a normal, you know, what I would call work day where I drive into work and work on a submarine and then go home at the end of the night. Um, so that's very similar to Dunwoody's model where we, um, it's very, you know, classroom and then the classroom rolls over into the lab and it is that, that learn by doing. Um, versus the university model, because now since, of course, I, uh, you know, I kind of, while I was in, I ended up with an associate's degree and uh, then got a bachelor's degree in mathematics. And then uh, since I've been out, I've done a master's degree in engineering and a, a doctorate degree in, in education. Um, but, but some of those degrees have been more of that traditional model. And I, I know from my standpoint, I'm a hands-on learner. I like to learn by doing. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes sitting in a classroom and just talking about it, isn't as good as, you know, going out there and getting your hands dirty with the actual tools or the equipment or the software or whatever that might look like. So the, the students that go to Dunwoody, are they usually right out of high school or what, what is 
I'm, I'm assuming there's a kind of across the board, but are these people, is this the first school they're going to, or do they have prior work experience? It's, it's, it's kind of all over the map. Um, I would tell you that we get a good portion of our students, maybe as much as half, um, straight out of high school. So these are the 18, 19 year old kids, um, that you know, maybe took the ACT, uh, you know, didn't want to go to a university, knew about Dunwoody, liked the idea of hands-on learning. So they end up here. Um, Is it difficult to get into Dunwoody? You know, it's it's not extremely difficult to get into Dunwoody. Um, I mean, obviously, we have an admissions process. It really varies by the program that you're enrolling into at Dunwoody. So like our, our radiological technology program, which is one of our medical programs, um, that's extremely difficult to get into. Um, you know, they only, I think they accept 20 students a year, and that's the max. And that's limited by uh, the number of sites where they can... Uh, where they can do their, uh, oh, I forget what the, the work is, but they have to go out and do field work. And so mm-hmm. they have to work at an actual hospital and they can only take on so many of these students. And so in that particular case, we may get hundreds of applicants and only the you know, the best 10 or 20 a year get into that program. Um, other programs like our welding program, as an example, um, very hands-on, a little bit less academic, but there's a ton of work out there right now for welders. Um, you know, we'll admit to anywhere of, I'd say as many as were from 36 to 50 students a year just into that one program. Um, but that tends to not have the same level of admissions requirements as our, as our, uh, as a radiological program. It's not that it's any less difficult. It's really mm-hmm. based upon the number of seats we have available. You know, so all of these programs are going to be, they're very high tech. Um, there's a lot of math in them, you know, whether you're a welder or rad tech or electronics or, you know, construction, there's a lot of math. Are kids are kids prepared? Do they do they come in with the skills they need? Yeah, some some do and some don't. Um, I think one of the nice things about Dunwoody is we really do kind of meet them where they're at. So we we are going to start um, you know the, the bulk of our students off in kind of a college algebra, college trigonometry type course. Um, so we're not going to make any assumptions. Um, you know, if somebody did a you know an AP calculus course in high school, sure we can use those credits and you know and uh, skip ahead to a, an you know, upper division math course. But, um, but for the most part, we're going to kind of assume this is where we start everybody unless they've got something showing us that we can start them at a different level or their ACT score is, you know, off the books or something like that. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that really varies widely. You know, we, we've got students in the weld shop right now, as an example, in my welding program that took AP calculus courses in high school. You know, then I've got students in my, uh, in my welding program, they're doing extremely well. That would tell you they barely graduated high school, you know, um, you know, and that they took, you know, one or two math classes and that's all they, they took exactly what they had to. And that was it. Um, so it, it really varies widely, which makes it a little difficult um, from the training perspective uh, because you do have that, you know, such a, a crazy, uh, uh, you know, difference between the top and low level of math skill, of course, mm-hmm. but that's true with reading or any other, skill set that we're looking for these students. But they're good at kind of taking people from where they're at and and taking them on potential as opposed to... You got it. You got it. Yeah, some of our best grads, I would tell you some of our best grads maybe didn't have a great high school career. Then they come here and see a different style of learning and they do quite well here. You know, that might be something they just didn't see in high school was that, that truly hands-on approach. But then we do get students... From high school that are, uh, you know, that were the, sh- you know, the kids that took all the shop classes, wood shop, they, uh, you know, CAD design. 
Um, those are some of my favorite students. You know, they knew in high school that this was the track that they were going to select. And then the other category I haven't talked about yet, you know, those are a lot of high school kids. We get mm-hmm. a lot of these, these mid-career folks. Um, as an example, we had a Ford Motor Company used to make the Ford Ranger here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And a few years back, probably 2011, 2012, they shut down our Ford plant here. Yeah, so a bunch of these folks got let go from Ford when they shut down. And they maybe weren't senior enough to move to a different plant or they couldn't retire early. And so what Ford did was they gave them some money uh, to go back to school. And so a lot of those students, um, you know, came back in their upper 20s or even lower 30s. And they came back to Dunwoody kind of as a pivot. I'm going to go from mm-hmm. I was working Ford production. I, I like to work with my hands. I like to make things. Um, how do I get into a skill that uh, is marketable right now? One of our, our biggest industries right now is uh, machining. Okay. C- CNC machining. CNC machining. You know, we graduate um, about 20 students a year out of our machine tool program, and we'll get about 300 requests to hire those 20 graduates. So we've had great luck at retraining or retooling some of these mid-career folks and really training them for a different industry. How do they respond to going to school versus the people that are right out of high school? You know, I would, I would tell you, I really like our adult learners. Our adult learners are here. Um, they're here with a purpose um, and they know what they want. So when it comes mm-hmm. to work ethic, they, they usually have an outstanding work ethic, which means they show up early, they stay late, uh, they put in the time studying, you know, they're not going out and partying with their friends. So yeah. they do a great job. The only area where the adult learners sometimes struggle a little bit is it might have been 15, 20 years since they've taken a mathematics course. So mm-hmm. sometimes that is the, the biggest concern or the biggest worry on their head when they go back to school. Right. But they take more ownership in a way. They take much more ownership and they, uh, they yeah, they know what they want to do and they're not just exploring. They know this is their next career and, and this is what they have to do to be successful. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. A lot of our readers, they own machine shops and or work at machine shops. And, you know, a lot of a lot of the time, the way things go is they just hire people that know nothing. And then they, you know, they become apprentices and work their way up often. Then they'll go to another school during the time. What is your opinion of doing that versus going to a school? I mean, I know you've you've said that you guys have a lot of hands-on stuff. So it sounds like that kind of is is there to to give the practical at the same time. I don't know. I guess maybe my question is, and you've answered it to some extent, like employers are looking for people. Do they care if people have gone to a technical college or before or uh, they just want somebody who's sharp? Well, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. They, they just want people. 
They want people that want to work in the manufacturing industry. Um, and if all they did was rely upon, you know, the technical colleges to push them people, they would, they would never have enough people as it is, you know, uh, national association of manufacturers, uh, Deloitte, they've done studies where they, they predict that we'll be 2 million workers short, um, in the manufacturing industry over the next 10 years. Um, so, so to think that me graduating, two, mil- two million two workers million. short. Yeah. So, so if you, uh, yeah, if you just Google Deloitte, uh, manufacturing skills gap, uh, you can read all about that. They predict over the next 10 years, there'll be 4 million, um, 4 million manufacturing job opportunities and that our current pipelines will provide, uh, upwards of 2 million of those to be filled. And that will leave us 2 million short on workers in the manufacturing industry. Now, mind you, that's, that's not just machining. Um, you know, that could be welding, that could be, uh, you know, uh, uh, electronics or electrical assembly or anything like that. Um, but that's 2 million job opportunities and a good portion of them are machine. Um, you know, so if, if employers are just relying on the tech colleges, um, it's, it's, they're, they're just not going to be able to meet the demand. So obviously I think hiring from a tech college is, is a great opportunity. Um, you kind of know what you're getting. You've got a, a, a young person or a, a adult learner that's already interest, interested in your industry um, they're coming out with some certifications, whether it's NIMS credentials or mm-hmm. you know a, a SolidWorks CAD certification, something like that. They're coming out with some of those credentials that you can recognize as, hey, I know they know this much about my industry. Um, but then you know they've they've also got some good foundational skill set under them. Um, versus if the biggest problem an employer has with hiring somebody completely off the street is what they've got to realize, and what I, I know they do realize is in order to bring somebody with no skills, just somebody with a good work ethic and no skill up to speed, what they're going to have to do is take one of their better machinists Mm -hmm. and they're going to have to really bring their productivity level down um, because now they've got this person shadowing, kind of an apprentice, kind of on the job. um, And and they've got to do that. They've got to do that because they've got to be looking at every possible avenue. You know, if I've got 10 openings and Dunwoody provides me two people, and I get two people maybe that were coming out of the military that are looking for work. Maybe I get one kid right out of high school who just wants to work. All of these are good feeders for me. Um, but I do know that some of these people, I'm going to have to do a little bit more on-the-job training. And the person coming out of the tech school, you know, already knows how to read a micrometer, already knows how to read a caliper, already knows how to calculate speeds. Um, it's not to say that they understand what we do, um, you know, that uh, they're not going to have to be trained. But it might be a little bit less handholding for the tech college grad versus the kid right out of high school. I see. How much does it cost? The Dunwoody being private, we're, we're a little bit more expensive. We're about, uh, we're about $40,000 for the complete education. Um, 40,000 for a complete education. You got it. And that includes, includes placement of them in their first job. And last year, our machine tool program, we were 100% placed for our graduating class. Um, that was about three months before those students graduated. We were 100% placed. And the average starting salary for those students was uh, over $40,000 a year. So we always tend to say that our, our value proposition is you're going to spend a lot of money to go to school, um, but you're going to get that job before you graduate. How many years? Uh, that, for that's a two-year degree. That's for a two-year degree. So $20,000 a year. That's just tuition, no room and board? or No room and board. That's going to be the tuition and fees and books related to that edge. Do you ever have people that go for 
a year drop out just because they know they can get a good job then because they have experience? Yeah, so so that's uh, one of the things I tell people is that I uh, yeah I never struggle to get uh, graduates of our machine tool program jobs. Usually, I have a harder time keeping them in the program than I do getting them a job. What that means is by the time our students finish the first semester, about half of the class will be working in the industry. By the Mm -hmm. time they finish the first year, uh, better than 80% of the class will be working in the industry. And it's not uncommon. I'm not a big fan of it. um, But it's not uncommon for after that first year to see a class of 25 or 30 students uh, go down to a class of 20 students for the second year for that very reason. Um, They've landed a job that they like. Um, The one year of schooling got them a few credentials. It got them a job that they like. They say, you know what? Um, That was my goal was to get a job and I'm out there working right now and I'm not going to go back to school. Um, That doesn't, you know, it's it's not what I would recommend. Um, I think that coming back for that second year, you know, you get your yeah, but it's twenty thousand dollars. You got so it. If you're, you if, got. If, I'll tell I'll tell you what does happen though. Something that's kind of cool is um, on that side where I do get students that will will leave after their first year and not come back. I do I do also have employers that will hire them after their first year and then pay to help them finish the second. So I kind of see both sides Yeah, I was thinking that that might happen. Yeah, so we've got some employers that will give them a scholarship and they'll say to them, look, um, a lot of them are trying to get kind of, uh, they're trying to get very creative about the way they do that because what they don't want to have happen is pay that $20,000 for them to come back to school. Then they finish school and what do they do? They go off to some other job, right? So I've got a few of them that will say, you know what? I'll pay you $5,000 tuition reimbursement the first year that you're at my company. I'll do another five thousand the second year, another five thousand the third, another five thousand the fourth. So basically, they're giving them bonuses for going back to school, and then how long they stay at their company. They literally can pay off, help to pay off their student loan debt by staying at that. Right, right. Well, it's kind of like you know when people pay for their employees to go to business school. You got it. Absolutely. Do you? One thing I've read a lot about recently. Um, been reading this book about generalism it's called range and it's it's you know it's about how specializing in something you know the the people that try to just specialize in one thing versus doing a lot of other things uh turn out to be less good at that one thing than all these other things that they've done it sounds like you or somebody that have done, you know, you've tried a lot of different things, you've studied in a lot of different ways. Um, so I'm sure you see the value in that. Uh, now, a school like Dunwoody, um, you know, on the one hand, I think it's awesome that people come in and they they have a game plan, a path. At the same time, do you think that in this kind of setting this kind of academic setting people pigeonhole themselves or maybe don't get enough well-rounded education and in the end they're they suffer for it or they don't excel as much as they could well i think i think for for a student that comes in and does the associate's degree and just lands their first job and works as a machinist the rest of their life i think uh you know if you really are a go-getter um you could get kind of pigeonholed and you could get kind of bored with what you're doing 
Um, so what we, we actually did at Dunwoody is we started a number of what we call two plus two degrees. Um, they, they call the associate's degree or the associate of applied science degree. It's been called a, a terminal degree by some people, which uh, kind of like a doctorate degree is a terminal degree, um, which, you know, I always hate that term. That means that you, you do this degree and your only option is to then die or what, what does terminal mean? Um, what, what we've done is we've tried to undo that a little bit, meaning that um, we offer two plus two degrees. So let's say that you, you graduate from our machine tool degree and you do want to move up. You know, maybe you want to get into engineering. Maybe you want to get into management. Um, there are two additional programs that we offer at Dunwoody where we take your two-year degree in machining and we stack onto that another two years of baccalaureate coursework. Um, one of them is our applied management program. Um, I, I think they, they just changed the name. I think it's called business management and leadership or something like that. But let's say you want to be the CEO of a company or you want to start your own business or something like that. Um, this is a coursework that you can do while you're working during the day. You can come to school at night a couple nights a week and you can actually get a bachelor's degree in business management. Or we also offer one in industrial engineering. So if you're a machine grad, um, you can come back to school a couple nights a week and go part-time while you're working during the day and get a, mm -hmm. a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering. And we've got a number of employers that have taken their best machinists, their best welders, best designers, their best electronic techs, and have paid for them to come back to school and do these bachelor's degrees. And I've got a number of success stories of machinists that have become manufacturing engineers and electronics techs that have become quality engineers and, uh, you know, and, and automation techs that have become, right. you know, and CNC programmers that have become, you know, manufacturing engineers. So you see, you see the, you see the point of the cross training. You got it. And, and I think it's, it's that upward mobility too, you know, um, a machinist, will always make good money and they'll make a great career, you know, but um, you're not going to become a millionaire by being a machinist unless you do one of two things. You either start your own business, you know, and you, and you create it from the ground up, you build a business that, you know, does millions and millions of dollars in net sales. Or if you want to, you know, go out and, and build upon those skill sets, maybe become an engineer and, you know, create your own patents or create your own processes and, you know, and sell those to other businesses or build them within your own business or, or become a CEO. Do you guys have business classes? Do you have entrepreneurship classes? We do. In the, in the business management program, we have a lot of the entrepreneurship, uh, business accounting, you know, things you expect. And then in the industrial engineering, we get more into, you know, manufacturing, engineering, quality, lean, Six Sigma. We get into some of those stack on skill sets. What do you think of the education higher education in this country, um, the trends and the prices and is everything pretty crazy and out of whack? You know, I, higher ed is expensive. And I think one of the biggest problems we have right now is we, we don't really tell our kids, especially our kids leaving high school, we don't really give them um, any direction for higher ed other than you should go to college and here's how to fill out the FAFSA. So one of my biggest concerns is that, um, you know, we've got, you know, I mean, it's like 1.5 trillion in student loan debt. And I think a good portion of that student loan debt are people that aren't working um, using the skill set that they trained for at the university or at whatever college they went to. You know, that tends to be a little less true here. We are expensive. I get it. Um, but I would tell you that um, when students graduate from machine school, they all find work in machine shops. 
Um, and if they want to stay working in the shop, they can do that as long as they want. And if they want to move up in that machine shop, they can see the ladder to get from one level to the next. What worries me is, you know, I think a lot of students select colleges, you know, based upon, you know, a football team or who the mascot <laughs> is or, you know, or where my mom and dad went to school instead of what is it I want to study. You know, probably the best story I could give you on this is we have a college, you know, across over in Wisconsin called the University of Wisconsin. Their mascot is Badgers. Yeah, that's where I went. I'm a I'm a Badger. Are you a Badger? Oh my gosh! You're you're, gonna, you're either gonna love this story or hate the story. Then um, I had a young lady that was here for a high school robotics event that we put on um, every fall, where we bring high school students in and we teach them how to design things using CAD software. We teach them how to 3D print. We teach them how to CNC machine, um, and we do all this stuff, you know, over the course of a of a Saturday morning. And this, this young lady just fell in love with it. She absolutely fell in love with CNC machining, with CAD software, and she thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I couldn't get her to leave, so much so that it was noon and all the seminars were over and she wanted to walk through the machine shop and learn about our CNC equipment. And so we're talking about it. We have a scholarship for girls called Women in Technical Careers, trying to get more girls to look at some of these non-traditional, you know, these male-dominated uh, fields. And so I told her about this scholarship and she essentially could have come to Dunwoody for free. And as I'm doing this, it might be 12, 15, 12, 30 now. Um, all of a sudden a mom comes walking in and she's, she's yelling at her daughter. She's like, I've been texting you. Why didn't you come out? You know, I'm here to pick you up, blah, blah, blah. She's oh, I didn't get my text. Mom, let me tell you about this. Dunwoody's got a scholarship. I can go to Dunwoody for almost free um, and look at these CNC machines. She was just in throw. Her eyes were this big, right? Um, and mom, in, in no uncertain terms, came up and said, you know what? My daughter's not going here. You know, my, my daughter's going to be a badger just like her mom and dad. And, and, and that's when the light turned on for me. I was like, Oy. you know, and I, I, I kind of tongue in cheek said, well, you know, what does being a badger pay? You know, because you, you weren't talking about my, my daughter's going to study, you know, to be a doctor. My daughter's going to be studying to be a lawyer. It was my daughter's going to go to the University of Wisconsin. You know, it's more about what color sweatshirt she's going to wear than what she's actually going to study. So the idea is you go off to college, take out all the student loan debt, but you don't have a roadmap. You don't have an idea of this is really what I want to study. You know, um, and I think what winds up happening is a lot of young kids take out student loan debt. And they major in, uh, you know, watching football games, chasing girls and drinking beer. Um, hey, and- hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I might resemble that remark in some cases too, but, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good opportunity to really look and say, you know, what is best, you know, what, you know, when you find something that, you know, makes your heart beat fast, that your eyes open up and you find something you really, really love, you know, we don't want to try to steer our kids away from that. We want them to explore all their opportunities, which includes going to the university of Wisconsin. And for some people that may be the right fit, other people that may not be the right fit. What before we end this? What is the thing that you really love? What's the thing that makes your heart beat? Oh, you know, sounds like there's been a lot of things, but you know, probably my big one is is would be uh, automation and robotics. That's probably my biggest one right now. Um, you know, I uh, I'm the lead faculty advisor for Dunwoody's robotics snowplow team. We don't have a we don't have a football team at Dunwoody. We don't have a baseball team or basketball team, but but we do have the number one robotic snowplow team in the world. 
and we compete against schools like Iowa State and North Dakota. And when we get to go and bring our two-year, you know, machine grads and our two-year electronics grads and our welding grads, and we get to build this autonomous snowplow that can plow a driveway without, you know, at the touch of a button, um, you know, that really is really cool stuff. And when you think of our students have actually designed and built that on our campus, and then they can go out and win huge prize money. You know, I think our one robots won over $30,000 in prize money over the last eight years. And we probably have a total of about 6,000 investors in it. You know, it's, it's fun to watch that. It's fun to, to watch a CNC machine, you know, and to take a hunk of metal and machine a finished part out of that hunk of metal and to take some, you know, 20 year old kid's idea and to make it come to life. You know, uh, I remember, a a young machine uh, student a few years ago that designed, uh, he designed an Oreo cookie spoon. He built an injection mold for an Oreo cookie spoon. It's a plastic spoon that's stamped on an Oreo cookie and you hang it on the rim of your glass, keeps the Oreo cookie submerged in the milk. And then you take that thing out and you eat the Oreo cookie that's been submerged in the milk, you know, versus trying to hold it in your hand and dropping it in the milk. I mean, I just, the creativity. That is a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) He actually tried to call Nabisco and, and see if he could uh, sell it to them and have them package one with every with every box of Oreo cookies. But when you see ideas like that come out, you know, of these twenty year old kids, you know, they actually produce this. And he ran he ran a, a hundred of these Oreo cookies off an injection bolt press at about you know two cents a piece. Um, but I see that every semester, every semester, every graduate class, you see a new student with a new idea or a new concept, and they bring it to life. You know, and I've seen students that have gone out and they've They've uh, researched patents. I've seen students have gone out and started their own companies. And I've seen a vast many students that have gone out within five years. They're making way more money than I make. And I'm the one that taught them. It's, it's just, it's really, really cool. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, I learned some things. Uh, let's hope that the positive momentum keeps coming. You're You're confident with the way machining and education and things are going in this country? I am. I mean, there's, everyone's got to worry, you know, um, whether you're, you know, whether, you know, what side of politics you're on doesn't matter, but, um, you know, we've got tariffs and we've got, you know, people, you know, China, and we've got all these different things that people are, are manipulating systems for their own goods. Stuff like that worries everyone, of course. Um, but at the end of the day, what, what happens is we've got U.S. manufacturers that can compete on a global stage right now. And they can produce parts that can't be produced anywhere else in the world. And they do a really darn good job of it. And as long as they keep doing that, um, whether it's medical device parts that are going to go on pacemakers and neurostimulators, or it's parts that are going to go on, you know, jumbo jets fly through the air, or it's parts for, uh, you know, defense systems for the military. Um, we do some incredible work. And I've seen a lot of our grads just do some things that you would never believe that they've done. And I think a lot of their high school teachers wouldn't believe, you know, that, we, you know, we've had graduates that have worked on uh, parts that went on the Mars rovers. You know, we've had wow. machinists that have uh, built parts that have uh, gone on the drills that uh, saved the Chilean miners a few years back. You know, we've done all kinds of incredible things um, that you wouldn't you wouldn't have expected. You know, when these kids were in high school. 